You know, I, I happen to believe a lot of people, like, they would try to go, they try to have, like, a big bang for their 100th episode. You know, they try to do something big. Naturally. But I feel like, no, 100 should be your low point. Like, you, you should, if you can, make 100 worse than episode one. So that way, nobody says, man, they really peaked at episode 100. That's right. Like, you can say, boy, I feel like at episode 100, like, they got their second win. So I think we just got to make a horrible show today, and we're fine. I think, I think it's good that you're setting everyone's expectations for the. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I thought, yeah, I like that. Yeah, we're striking the high path. That's so right. Gonna go for like, I'm going to go for a more intimate feeling. We're, we're going to be more t- t- together, and it's not going to be just a big bang. It's going to be just condensed, and we're going to all express our opinions, and then you just take it to like, this is going to be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Low expectations. There's no disappointment. You guys, yeah. Yeah. You guys ever see that uh, mad TV bit about lowered expectations? That's beautiful, man. That was really nice. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 100 for July 7th, 2015. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's honestly struggling with a bit of food coma from a little bit too much barbecue. My name is Chris, and joining me in studio, well, one of the several gentlemen joining me in studio is Wes. Hey, Wes. Hey, gang. Hey there. Welcome, and thanks for joining me in studio and eating my barbecue. My pleasure. <laughs> Last week, I put the call out. I said, uh, you know, for episode 100, I wanted to do a meetup, but we have so much going on. We've just done a bunch of meetups, and we have a couple of coming up. Kind of didn't really fit in the schedule, so why not just have people over to the studio and do a little cookout? We had six people RSVP. And we had a pool going. I said three would show up. I nailed it. Three people showed up. Were you the first to make it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was nice. It was good. And so we had, uh, I had the barbecue going. I figured, because we're up north a little bit, people usually show up a little late. So I didn't even start the barbecue until like about the time I thought people were maybe supposed to start showing up. So that way there was plenty of time. And then as people trickled in, we had the barbecue ready to go. We've been talking Linux. It's been nice. Oh, yeah. Play a little Ronald Jenkins while we ate. And uh, so I thought today, to celebrate episode 100, we would... Do the only thing po- po- proper. The only thing you're supposed to do for your 100th episode is not plan anything. Clip show. Yeah. <laughs> Clip show. That would actually be even better. It's just sit back here, play all the clips. We don't do anything. We just play everything. No. Actually, that would have been way more way more clever, actually. I should have thought of that. No, no. Today, we'll, we'll do. Yeah. 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 We'll do it for 200. Exactly. Now, today, we'll do a little, a brief retrospect. We'll do a little navel gazing, but we won't go too far. We'll just talk. I just, we've got to look back over the 100 weeks that this show's been on the air. And I don't think we've missed a single week. I don't think. I don't think so. And some really interesting stuff has developed. Uh, and then uh, we're going to have a review of the new Linux Mint release uh, based on uh, Cinnamon, the 17.2. And then towards the end of the show, a brand new tiny, tiny device is running Linux that uh, is x86-based. And uh, you're going to be able to get your hands on it for pretty cheap really soon. So before we dig into all of that, let's bring in that virtual lug. Time-appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Beep, beep. Thank you guys. Hello. Huge turnout today. Look at that. It's scrolling off the screen there. We got so many people in the uh in the mumble room. Hey there guys. I, I like Popey must like start before I'm done. That's the only way I can figure because he's always in there first. He nails it. Uh, so uh, we're going to talk about um, a little bit of uh, the show's history. And uh, so that's one of the reasons why Wes here is joining us in the first segment is uh, out of the group here, Wes has been probably watching since closest from the beginning. What? You said about a couple years? Yeah. You know, I think uh, about episode 18. Okay. Not bad. All right. Well, so guess what? This is all going to be in your wheelhouse then. So I didn't want to go like way, 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 way far back. But let's start with more recent history. Some episodes that were just kind of my favorites of Linux Unplugged. These are like if you're if you're new to the show. 
we'll just point out a couple of things that I thought were interesting. And you guys, you can chip, chip in if you want or not. But starting kind of more recently, episode 70, when we uh, looked at uh, – well, first of all, we talked with the Fedora Project about their, them switching to this ring cycle where they have Fedora Core again, Fedora Workstation, Fedora Server. And all of that was around the uh, Fedora 21 release and the restructuring of their project. And I really – we did a couple of, a couple of week coverage of that, and we had them come on and discuss it with us and do a roundtable discussion. I thought that was a really interesting way to sort of approach like a big, well-known distro going through a major restructuring to really help people wrap their heads around it. And so that was in episode seven. I'm thinking in the future, if there was a distro that had a big change like that, there'd be. It's, it's nice to kind of just really double down on it. I think that's one of the best things about Unplugged is you can connect developers with the people who are actually using them. Yeah, they come into the room. Yeah. I like that. Right there. And sometimes like, you know, behind the scenes, Rotten Corp is going to attest to this. Are you still in there, Rotten? We've had to have Rotten write up a tutorial, and like he, you know, he has to work with the guests a lot of times to get them set up with Mumble, oh. because we have them come in and hang out with the rest of the lug, and you know, a lot of times, like uh, the last time Matt from Fedora was on the project, he <laughs> he actually had to get and build and package Mumble for Fedora twenty two because <laughs> there wasn't a Mumble available for Fedora twenty two yet. Uh, so sometimes our guests will go really above. <laughs> <laughs> It's just peer pressure. <laughs> I guess they'll go above and beyond to you know because they have they have to go install this extra piece of software, configure it to our Mumble server, uh, and but then they get to hang out and and the people in the room can ask questions too. So that's that's pretty neat. So while we're still navel gazing and we're looking back, uh, let's keep going back to episode sixty eight. Uh, that's when we talked to uh, Charlie and his students from Penn Manor School District, where we got to talk about how they gave each student uh, root access to their rigs. That was episode sixty eight, Linux powered schools. I love the concept of trusting the students with root access and the way Charlie empowered students to be the, the, the IT people and all of that was really neat. And now they're still getting some recognition. They just got written up uh, in a Red Hat magazine just recently. Uh, oh, and, and it's just up the robe for Moorhead. Uh, episode 57, going right through these because I hate talking about ourselves. Systemd haters busted. There was a whole swath of Systemd. This ah. is the part I've been rushing towards. Man. Did we have some serious system D episodes? Another one, another seminal, 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 seminal. Thank you, thank you, Wes. <laughs> uh, another really important uh, system D episode was uh, uh, episode twenty-seven, Debian's system D decision, where it was uh, announced. Can you believe it was that long ago? It seems ages ago. February eleventh, two thousand and fourteen. One of the bumpier chapters in Debian's history looks to be drawing to a close, at least for now. What was all the drama about? It was the switch to system D. Now it seems so far ago, you know? No problems. I'm so glad to be in an Ubuntu have switched to System D now. Have you noticed how it's all gone quiet? Yeah, it really has in a big way, hasn't it? What do you think that means? Is it, um, I think it means all the haters were making a fuss about nothing because they didn't know what they were talking about, which I think succinctly <laughs> summarizes what we were saying at the time. Yeah, it oh, means they the actually arguments? tried it, finally. Or they don't realize they're using it now because it just works. Yeah. <laughs> Wes, have you had an experience yeah, with it? I think that's, that I think that's a little caveats. unfair. I think that's characterizing everyone who was anti-System D as a hater is a little bit unfair, because some of them weren't. Some of them were people yes, who okay. had a generalism. other options. Yeah, yeah I, um, I agree. I'm referring, just, I'm, referring to, I'm referring to the peanut gallery. I think a better summary would oh, be guys. that the haters yeah, have moved guys. on. You think? The rest of us have made do, or enjoyed it. Yeah, I guess maybe that's it, too. The haters, are, they're just not using systems that use System D. Right, there are options out there. Free BSD converts, perhaps. So, so yeah. as we're as we're talking about system D, uh, who's installed Dev One recently? <laughs> Dev One, I haven't heard anything about that. No, I haven't either. And the room goes silent. Yeah, I forgot that existed. 
Yeah, I, I haven't, but I I'm wonder what I wonder what they did with all your money. <laughs> oh, that's right. They were taking donations. How about that? How about that? Uh, so yeah, boy, the system D stuff was really fascinating. So from I mean, it's such a range that it covered, and I know there's a, part, a certain amount of time where it really got burned out. But now it's we have a little bit of interesting history in there. Um, so I uh, wow. Boy, that is really something. I, so, Wes, have you had a chance to use it much? Oh, yeah, I mean, I run Arch at home, so yeah. System B is pretty much on all of my systems. Yeah, I use a lot of legacy init scripts at work, and having a sane sat- status command, regardless of if the author of the system, the init script, bothered to write one, is a godsend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, once you use it in a production environment, if in a server environment, it's it's very nice. Uh, I want to. There's a lot of places, a lot of moments in Unplug's history where we talked about uh, 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 Docker. And Docker, you know, following Docker was, it's been really fascinating. Episode 16, Meet the Dockers, a new version of Docker was released. So we brought on the CTO and founder of Docker to chat about the big features of Docker. And that was really like an interesting moment in Docker history before, well before the 1.0, well before the partnership with Red Hat and VMware and all the other companies that they now work with. But well before CoreOS and, and Rocket and all of that, we talked with the CTO and founder of Docker in episode 16. I thought that was pretty interesting. And then, oh, and Rotten, did you have any? I'm just saying it's, it kind of sounds like we're, uh, Linux Unplugged is like container hipsters. <laughs> we, were hip to, we were hip to Docker before everybody else was. Coda Radio has this beat by a few weeks, actually. So Coda, Mike, Mike found Docker before Docker was even like, like – he found it really early on when they were just desperate to get people to know about it. Um, and then one of the most popular – and, of course, the older the show is, the more downloads it gets. So this isn't a super fair metric, but uh, episode 15 of Linux Unplugged, Don't Switch to Linux – has been one of the most popular episodes on YouTube, and one of the like people have people have written me saying that I have done more damage to Linux with this episode title than in anything any other. Don't switch to Linux. They I I have been told is single handedly hurting a Linux adoption because of that title. But it, at least you got a legacy. I guess that's after all this work that'll be my legacy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I recall, it was like what episode fifteen was about was Linux is amazing, but we're gonna we're just gonna tell you here's a couple of the elephants in the room when you switch. Uh, you gotta be real, yeah. And like I was just telling you guys during lunch, um, uh, our former nanny, who is no longer our nanny, uh, her MacBook died, and so Noah got her uh, Dell laptop, and she liked it. She likes it. Oh, I was already using LibreOffice. She says it was great. Oh, I was already using Firefox. It's great. And I'm thinking to myself, this is gonna be perfect. So it's, I think you put Ubuntu LTS okay. on there, and uh, she had it for about two days, and then she calls me up and she says, so um, <clears throat> Chris. Yeah, what's up? I'm having a hard time with something. What is it? I, I can't. Is, it, is 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 there no iTunes for Linux? Oh, I'm like, oh no, there's no iTunes, Jenny. I, I didn't even I, I didn't even think to tell her. Of course not. I mean, I don't use iTunes. I, who uses iTunes? A lot of people no, use Linux iTunes, user. but Linux users don't use iTunes. Uh, but those are the kinds of things that we covered in the "Don't Switch to Linux." It's like there's some there's a lot of good stuff, but there's some gotchas too. Uh, and and so that I was surprised by the reaction because I felt like uh, if you listen to the episode, it was kind of obvious what we were trying to go for. Uh, but boy, did we get a lot of hate for that. Uh, and so episode fifteen, I was like, ever since then, I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be flame baiting in the titles anymore. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But uh, we've matured since then. The real, yeah. The real funny thing about Linux Unplugged is it started as a show uh, simply to uh, handle the overflow of mail we were getting from the Linux Action Show. I was getting so much email. Uh, 
the, and this is well before I had like before we had the contact forms really where where uh, really good, and we had the subreddit as a as a as a really good form for feedback. So everything was coming in my inbox, my inbox, and I realized I was spending as much time reading email every week as I would just to prep a show. So then I thought, well, well, here's an idea. Why don't I just turn all this email reading into show prep, and I'll just sit down, and I'll read and respond to emails. Nobody will want to listen to a show like that, but if I'm going to do it anyways, I'll just do it. And so that was like episode one. Uh, you know, it was like, yeah, maybe I'll try. Like, uh, here's a concept, episode two and three, you know, go dock yourself. Uh, what was that about? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a little KDE hate. Uh, you know, I played with it a little, and then I realized pretty early on that nobody, nobody wants to re- listen to a show where some guy's reading email. Nobody is. Yeah, yeah, you'd so think which, so. Which show did you uh, introduce the Mumble chat room then? I think it was this show. I think so. No, no, as no, in, as in which episode? Oh. That'd be a good thing to find. Oh, I, that is a really, really good question. Do you think it wasn't in episode one? It was episode one. I'm thinking of, maybe a chat with our live hangout. Maybe we did a hangout for the first episode. But yeah, we had a panel discussion about we. Our first episode, we talked about the lava bit shut down, and if it was time to start rolling our own email servers, that was our panel discussion on the first episode. It looks like so it started out dicey. Yeah, yeah, the lava bit stuff was kind of a was kind of a mess, wasn't it? I remember that Levar Levinson and the whole uh, he was hosting Snowden's emails. Right. Yeah, that's that's right. That was what lava bit was about. Now he's off doing the dark mail initiative, and I think we interviewed him one of our shows. Even might have been unplugged. Uh, That's a great question, though. Hmm. Yeah, I do read. It's funny. I uh, Greater says now I no longer read emails in love. I don't read as many. I do read a few, but uh, yeah, I don't read as many now because we read more emails in Linux Action Show these days. So it kind of it kind of softened up on that. Well, in the mumble room brings all the complaints that you could possibly. That's want. true. <laughs> you got we got we got live feedback right there, right? And you got a chat room. You got a chat room too. Uh, hey, you know what? Um, something that just crossed my mind. I got uh, I got to get your info. Before you go, I got to get everybody who visited today. We're going to give away a special uh, for you guys that visited a special um, uh, um, uh, Linux Unplugged 100 uh, T-shirt. Oh boy! I yeah. will just remind everyone I was here first. Yeah. So there you go. So and uh, we're going to make it available uh, just for like a day or two, or probably like a couple of days. If you would like to pick it up out there in the audience, Teespring.com/lup100. Um, it's just a show we threw together to celebrate episode 100. We're not going to make a big run of it. We're not going to make a big deal. I don't even think we'll probably update the website. So it's just for you guys if you're a fan of the show. And we're selling it basically at cost, $19. Um, because once you add shipping and stuff, it's going to be a little bit more than that. And there's also a long sleeve version, which are pretty great. And it's at teespring.com slash LUP, L-U-P, 100, if you would like it. And uh, for you guys who visited, uh, just uh, give me your deets, and I'll forward them on to Ange, and she'll order some for you guys because you made the trip. And I'll put a link to that in the chat room, too. Again, that's teespring.com slash LUP100 if you want to grab it. And I don't know how long we'll run it because I really just kind of want to be something special just for those of you who listened to episode 100 of uh, the Unplugged program. That was something I wanted to do, too. And we only need three more prints to make the run because we're just doing a couple. So and it'll be running. I guess it's running for 14 days. I guess we'll probably just run the clock out on it. That probably makes the most sense. Teespring.com slash LUP100. All right, so uh, that'll bring us to the end of the navel-gazing. I, I, I appreciate you guys letting me do that. I thought it was fun to kind of look back over 100 weeks and, and see some of the more interesting things that have developed. And, you know, it's funny because on the pre-show we're like, no, we don't want to talk about this again. Oh, we don't want to talk about this. And we were talking about, like, Firefox and SystemD. And the reality is we feel like we talk ourselves out too much. Like, it's, oh, my gosh, we've, we've beat it to death. But when you go back with a little perspective and look at it, it's uh, – and, and I'm just saying this based on, you know – 300 plus episodes of last too it is um 
it's a it's an uncanny time capsule. It is like getting in a time machine and going back to that moment and you realize there was so – like we look back at this stuff now and we see it in very broad terms. The Debian distribution switched over to System D and there was some debates and there was infighting. But back then, the nuance is so rich and so detailed that when you actually go back and listen to the back catalog, you're like, wow, I can't believe we were worried about this. Or, oh, man, that was such a big deal. And, like, it's very fascinating. So, and it's, it's all there. Retrospect. What's that? It's a good retrospect. Yeah. Yeah, for 200, we should actually clip it all together. That's a good <laughs> idea, Wes. I like that. Thank you. Thank you, Wes. That was good thinking. All right. Well, uh, so uh, we're going to shift gears and talk about uh, Linux Mint uh, 17.2 and the uh, flavor of cinnamon uh, that uh, you can get with that edition. But first, I want to tell you about our first sponsor, and that is DigitalOcean. In fact, go over to DigitalOcean.com right now and remember our promo code of absolute power and wisdom. That is D-O unplugged, one word, lowercase, D-O Unplugged. That'll give you a $10 credit over at DigitalOcean, and then you can try out their $5 rig two months for free. Now, DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up your own cloud server. Now, a cloud server is really a rig up on the DigitalOcean data center that is powered by Linux, running on top of Linux in the KVM virtualizer. And you can choose from CoreOS, FreeBSD, Fedora, Ubuntu, Debian, lots of distributions to pick from one-click application deployments. And you can get started in less than 55 seconds. I can't even believe this. As somebody who used to create virtual machines for a living using like clunky VMware ESXi platform tools and things, <laughs> where I had to run a Windows box to create a Linux machine those days, to be able to create a machine in 55 seconds blows my freaking mind. And at $5 a month, you're going to get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. A terabyte. Jeez, uh, uh, wow. Oh, and here's another great thing. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. They got a brand new hotness in Germany with 40 gigabit E connections to each hypervisor, their fastest SSDs yet. And that thing is located in great, great, great locations. All of its neighbors have fantastic speed. But look at DigitalOcean's interface. In fact, it's worth using our promo code just to play with that. Go over to DigitalOcean.com, use the promo code D-O-Unplug, get that $10 credit, also help support this show, and then try out their interface. You know, it's super intuitive, it supports web standards, which is really nice, which means it's going to work on your tablet or your desktop, which is great if you're on the go. They also have a fantastic API that allows you to replicate the functionality, really, really well done, and there's so many great community apps built around that API. For like me, I just take advantage of those apps. And uh, uh, for those of you out there, out there that use Unity for your desktop, there are uh, applets that uh, snap right into the Ubuntu desktop to manage your droplet. I don't actually know how well they work on other desktops, but I did notice they're also available in the AUR. So uh, GNOME users and uh, whatnot, I think you could actually install them as well. There's also com- tons of command line applications, Android, iOS management tools, things to snap it into Puppet. Uh, wh- whatever you need to do, there's probably somebody's already written some code for it, or you can take advantage of that API. Just remember that promo code. That's what supports the show and keeps us going for another 100 episodes. D-O Unplugged. You apply that, you get a $10 credit. No credit card required. D-O Unplugged. Try out their $5 rig two months for free. If you're in our chat room right now, the functionality of the JBot, powered by a DigitalOcean droplet. My chat room, powered by a DigitalOcean droplet using Quasal Core. My own cloud, my BitTorrent sync, my Minecraft servers, the backend systems that we use for transferring files between on-location and production in the studio. All of it, powered by DigitalOcean, our Jitsi server that we bounce off of, a DigitalOcean droplet. I'm telling you, it can be your backend infrastructure for testing or for production. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code DOUnplugged. And a big, big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. You guys are fantastic. All right, well, now sitting down to join me at the mic is Romeo. Hey, Romeo, welcome to Linux Unplugged, man. Hey, Chris. So thank you, first of all, for making the trip out from Portland, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Good man. And also, not only that, you also volunteered to be our Linux Mint 17.2 Cinnamon user. And so I saw you have it installed here on a Lenovo laptop. Uh, uh, is it a is Lenovo? It Lenovo? No. Oh, it is Lenovo. Uh, <laughs> okay. See, I thought it was a Lenovo. <laughs> and uh, what do you think of it? Where do you want to start? Is it How is the installation experience out of box, Wi-Fi, hardware? How's all that work for you? Well, I mean, installation is is pretty standard nowadays. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we nailed that a while ago. There's, yeah. It's nothing to write home about. It, it's it's a Linux installation from a USB. It's, it's what it is. Um, Wi-Fi worked out of the box, which it didn't in 17.1 when I oh. used this laptop. It's a Broadcom in that? Uh, yeah, Broadcom chip, uh, which was exciting. I, w- I was pretty hyped about that. And uh, it carried over my Wi-Fi settings from the install. I love that. I, I thought that, that was really cool. Yeah, and, and more and more distros are doing that. But and, and man, does it stand out now when a distribution doesn't do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I... I didn't notice a whole lot of changes when I was just using it regularly. Uh, theming is really easy. Uh, Do they still support like the automatic downloading of themes online inside the like theme control panel? Uh, no, at least not that I could find. Okay. Uh, it seems that they've removed that functionality. I don't really know why. You have to download them manually and okay. pop them into your .themes, which isn't difficult, but my grandma wouldn't do it. Right. Which yeah, is... Having it built in there is very nice, sort of KDE-esque too. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, I, I looked at the change log, and they, they say they, uh, they fix a screensaver not actually being a screensaver. Um, nice. They put some new repos on, but it's only 14.04. I mean... Yeah, that's right. Right. Did you feel that when you're using does it? Does it feel old? It feels sluggish. Even though they say that they've improved and sped up and optimized Cinnamon a lot... I didn't feel it. Uh, for me, it felt slower than when I used 17.1. Maybe it's uh, drivers being weird. Maybe it's something else. But I didn't feel the uh, the speed improvements they were talking about. Hmm. And uh, admittedly, this is on a very low-end laptop. It's a ThinkPad X131e, which isn't the best. But, I mean, it should be able to run Cinnamon. Yeah, and uh, it's ran it before. Yeah, and it has. Uh, has an Intel graphics, so you've played Race the Sun on it. So it can, it can do 3D acceleration, so it should I, be enough I to... it's actually AMD. Oh, okay. But it's enough to actually have 3D compositing. Yeah. So the cinnamon should have everything it needs to be snappy. It is, but... Um, and the cinnamon menu still hasn't opened when I hit the... Is that... Is that... Hit it again. Did it even register? Yeah. Oh, my oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah, that is a bit laggy. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was worth mentioning. Um, what was neat was all of my little function keys, like my play and pause and mm-hmm. brightness and... Those all worked out of the box, which they didn't last time. So it seems kind of like they're just making it more stable, making it more of a distro that'll just work on everything. I noticed they're refining a few things that seemed kind of appealing. Like, I don't know if you had a chance uh, to play with this, but I guess they have, like, a a new inhibit feature for notifications now. I didn't play with that, but I did see that they did that, and I thought that it was cool. Yeah, that's nice. It's just, you know what, I don't don't want any notifications for a while. No boxes popping up for a little bit. Just turn this crap off. That's a great idea. And not just that, but it also disables your screensaver uh, and screen blanking in total, which um, on my desktop I just wrote a script for that. Yeah. uh, it's cool that they've Caffeine that is another is another desktop application you can get that'll do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's nice, like when you're watching a movie or a live show, something like that. Uh, and and um, I, when I looked at the when I looked at the, like you were saying, what I saw was like uh, so. One of the things they've they've listed is uh, improved system settings, like a better layout of the system settings. And, and and when you go through there now, does it feel like it's one nice co- cohesive place to configure the system? 
I I went into the system settings and I didn't notice anything, which I think is probably uh, what they sign. were going for. Yeah. yeah, it's probably a good sign. Yeah, because it felt a little hodgepodge in the past. And, I, and then and looking at these screenshots, it seems seems pretty good. Now, uh, Wimpy, I think on the pre-show you were mentioning you might have had some questions regarding uh, the uh, the cinnamon release of uh, Mint, or I'm sorry, of Mint. Uh, well, you've just covered some of it there. I mean, I find listening to podcasts that do distro reviews really useful because I have l- two long commutes a day. And I can listen to other people reviewing distributions and I can get hints and ideas about how to improve the one I make. So all of this I find fascinating. I, I am I am intrigued by the by your experience with it being based on 1404. So I'm assuming userland applications all feel very current and modern, right? It's the latest Firefox or Yeah, I mean all that all that stuff is it it's it's yeah, fine. It's, it's it, all taken it, care of. It, it's it's usable, but I don't know. I just I don't I don't know why they went with fourteen oh four. Can you uh, do you do me a favor? What's what's the version of the kernel it's using there? Do you uh, get um, a U name or something for me? I'm just kind of yeah, curious no to see which they probably have it listed on the uh, on the specs page. But uh, uh, now here's the here's the nice thing about this. So you you know so it sounds like your biggest takeaway is the performance is not quite as good as you're hoping, especially since they kind of made that a cornerstone aspect of the release. Uh, but the flip side is is this is a long term supported edition. So this is something you could give friends or family. And they would have years of patches coming from this thing. So that's that's something to consider. Wimpy, you wanted to jump in. Uh, well, you were, you were saying about, mm. you know, why is it based on 14.04? And this was something I discussed with Clem way back when this w- was first. Right. Oh, yeah, um, will you remind me? Put out as an idea. Well, it, it really comes down to the fact that um, with each new version of Ubuntu, the Mint T T team being outside of the ubuntu you know family if you like they had to keep re-engineering things mm-hmm. and fixing things and moving with this shifting base system and one of and one of the other criticisms was um that you couldn't upgrade between you know mint releases um or you could sometimes and sometimes it didn't work so well so the decision was was to base on an lts and then iterate on top of a stable, largely unchanging base system so they could actually concentrate on developing their own tools and applications without having the, the constant churn beneath them with mm-hmm. the uh, the operating system changing. So that was the rationale. And part of that was fueled by uh, when is System D going to land, uh, what's happening with Wayland and Mir, and uh, what that might mean for um, you know distribution such as Mint and Elementary and how right. they would have to adapt. It buys them a couple of years to let the, that kind of thing shake out. Yeah, just let those things shake out. Yeah. Now, also, I've been reading online that a lot of people are upgrading from seventeen one to seventeen two, which is not something normally done in a Mint release. But I guess because they're both based on fourteen oh four, there's actually a, a way to do this now. Uh, yeah, because you're not. Yeah, you're not doing. Yeah. yeah, you're not doing a distribution release upgrade. You're effectively upgrading packages on top of a, a, a base OS, which is nice, so you know, for Mint users. That's yeah. that's always like because that's always yeah. been a mismatch. You know, Mint's great for people that aren't very comfortable, but every time you want to go to the next version, you have to completely reload. Yeah, you know, they're actually going to do that another time for the next release, which is seventeen point three, and the next one, who knows? Because that's will be eighteen and. It's going to be LTS to LTS, so maybe right. they'll have an upgrade, maybe not. Yeah. Now, are you, did you see the kernel version there? Um, yes, I've got uh, 3.16. 3.16 is not bad. Okay. All right. So it's not 3.13. That's all I care about. <laughs> it's it's also actually got uh, a kernel versioning app, um, manager thing. Right. So you can actually can you can update and choose which version which kernel you want. Or you or avoid it altogether. I think too. Yeah. Yeah. As well. Interesting. Like, there's actually a lot of things that 
they're doing that are um, they're they're LTS based, but they are actually updating packages and updating different uh, security software and stuff outside of just the LTS of you know point releases. They're doing more than just that. Like there's a few applications that that I've I've experienced where they've actually updated um, in the past couple months or so that were you know like like a year old in the Ubuntu mm. versions. Mm. So they are, they're they not doing it for everything, but they are doing it a lot more than any other distro based on LTS. Do I, you remember which applications those were? No, I don't. Mm. I remember some of the applications that are not in the repo at all that they added like some proprietary stuff, like they added Sublime, mm. stuff like that. Mm. I like that. Uh, Sublime's great. Um, you know, I, I last week, what I was trying to sort of haphazardly stay, and I'll just, it's very, very, I'll just very plain stately say, say this time, is I'm still a little confused why I wouldn't go with Ubuntu Mate or Ubuntu LTS itself over Mint if I'm, if I'm, if I'm really going out on a ledge and say I'm going to pull a Noah and I'm going to ship somebody a laptop halfway across the country and I'm never even probably going to see them, I, I, don't, I don't know if I would do anything but an official Ubuntu flavor for that person. Um, because it just feels like uh, it is you're deviating the the further you deviate from that official status, like the the more room there is for something you don't know about or something you don't have oversight over or something just weird to break. I, I don't know. I maybe it's it seems like a, it doesn't seem like a main issue because I've moved people to Mint and had success with it and I have never had a problem. But I'm just trying to think like where if I'm trying to pick between the two, what the core advantage over say Mint. Cinema Edition is, say, over Ubuntu Mate or Ubuntu 14.04 LTS. What do you think? Um, I feel like Mint Cinnamon tries to be, intentionally, a lot like Windows. Um, the start menu is very similar to Windows. Mm-hmm. The two-finger scrolling isn't a thing. They use the Windows Edge scrolling. Right. Um the, 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 Just the, the general, general feel. usage of it feels a little bit like Windows, but almost like... Not in a bad way, though. Like, I, cause sometimes I'll say that to put something down. Like, oh, it feels like I'm using Windows Seven, and maybe you know, you might have just, somebody might describe an old version of KDE like that. But when, but with Cinnamon, it's like it's got a start menu, but it's it's now a better start menu than what Windows has, right? Like, it's like they've refined it in a way where they took some concepts that, if you're familiar with Windows, you'll see they're here in Cinnamon, and they'll be somewhat reminiscent, but they're not like a one to one copy of the concept. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. Um, there, it's easy for the for the Windows people to get into, which is what everyone's been saying about Mint since yeah. as long as I can remember. That really is a main advantage to it, isn't it? I and mean, one of the big advantages to it is if you're switching a Windows user, that's it's going to be kind of comfortable for yeah. Cinnamon. How's the stability been? Any crashing or anything like that? I haven't had any crashing um, other than the general sluggishness. Yeah, Corky wants to throw his uh, hat in the ring. Uh, go ahead, Corky. I'd have to say Cinnamon is definitely. The most important thing about Linux Mint, I've um, four switches I've used Cinnamon for because I I find it great for switching people. And Linux Mint is the only way you can go if you want proper Cinnamon implementation. And you like GTK apps too, which is nice. If you still like the GTK apps, but you want something a little more traditional and GNOME 3 isn't your thing, or it's going to be way too different if you're switching, and you don't want to go to KDE, yeah, I like that. Okay, so 17.2, and uh, I, if you have any experiences with it out there and want to share it with us, linuxactionshow.reddit.com, find the feedback thread for episode 100 and let us know. I'd specifically like to hear your experiences with the performance aspect. How has that been? Anybody in the mumble room want to chime in? Have anybody tried 17.2 that has opinions before we 
hip scott jump around nope going once i looked at 17.2 for accessibility but that's just me though and okay i'd love to hear about that um so in 2.6 they started work on accessibility for cinnamon yeah so that's what the 17.2 has cinnamon version 2.6 and above um but it's still not there yet it works in terms of just kind of navigating getting around nemo's not sort of accessible Mm. but Mm. there are some things that 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 don't work as well. Some of the uh, some of the keyboard functionality when you want to assign keyboards, like keyboard shortcuts and things, uh, those don't work with Orca. Uh, the panel is sort of accessible, but there needs to be some work to done. But the, the start is there, so hopefully the ball will keep rolling. Um, how does it compare to say Unity or GNOME or KDE? So KDE is not accessible as of right now. Um, there apparently there's some move for that to happen. Unity is not, it's sort of accessible, but it's the functionality is not really there for Orca users. But in terms of like GNOME or Mate, GNOME and Mate are the most accessible out of the box for, okay. for Orca users. Cool. That is, I, that is really good to hear that perspective because that's obviously something that's very hard for us to test. So I really do appreciate you mentioning that. Um, and uh, also, uh, a Greater in the chat room points out that uh, if you're not a SystemD fan, Mint 17.2 is a bastion of a non-system Dennis for you, which also probably explains why it's taking a little while to boot up. <laughs> <laughs> that might have to, it might have to do with uh, the hard drive encryption. Oh, you have it encrypted? Easy. Yeah, I've got, a, oh, I've got the hard drive encrypted yeah, and the a bit of, folder yeah. encrypted. That, could take, that definitely could take a bit of a hit. Yeah, for sure. Um, hmm. For boot up time, but I, I don't think that would uh, affect like after I've booted up. It might, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it might still. Just even though, even though it has the key, it still might. I don't know. That's a good question. I'd be curious to see what it would be like with or with it off. Uh, I, so, but so how was that setting that up? Pretty easy? Yeah. Uh, during the install process, it was just check a box, take a box enter, your, enter your master password. Yeah. Cool. And you were, able, were you able to set uh, one master password for all of them? Or was it different passwords for like your home and a different password for your root? Or? Um, I set a different password for my, for my home and a different cool. password for the... Cool. That's really neat. Well, very nice. All right. Well, thank you for doing that. Thank you for coming up from Portland to give us that review in studio, too. That was really awesome. And uh, jump back in and let us know how it goes. Are you going to keep it installed or are you switching to something else? I'm going back to Arch. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for trying it for a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I know how you feel, too. All right. Well, then I'll take a moment and uh, I'll thank our next sponsor right here on the uh, Linux Unplugged program. Of course, that's our friends over at Ting. Go to linux.ting.com, linux.ting.com to get our special $25 discount off your first Ting device or $25 in service credit if you have a Ting compatible device. And you just might because Ting has a GSM network and a CDMA network. Now, here's what I love about Ting. You're only paying for what you use. This is phenomenal. If you've got like a device, like a, like, a, like a little tiny computer device that maybe is doing some monitoring or some sort of sensors, you could put a, you could put a GSM uh, SIM card in that thing and give it internet access for $6 a month. Why? Ting's only pay for what you use with a flat $6 for the line. Then just take your, miss- your messages, your minutes, your megabytes, they add that all up. That's what you pay in. That's really simple. And they have a dashboard to help you keep it all straight and is really a good system. And because I'm pretty savvy, like with the Wi-Fi or I'll, do, I'll, use, I'll use anything. I'll use Hangouts. I'll use Skype. I'll use SIP now with Noah. Man, I, I, I don't even – we're like uh, we're, we're like seven days into the month. I've, I've probably got like a handful of minutes used total. It's so slick. And so if you're savvy like that, it's really useful. And here's the best part. You can get a whole team of people on there, right? And $6 a line, that's not going to cost you anything. And it's just your usage. And then when they get stuck, you can just have them call the Ting customer service. It's no hold customer service. You just call and get to speak to a human at one eight five five ting ftw That's really nice if you don't want to get stuck having to help people. 
because they've got really good service. They've also got great online support and a fantastic dashboard. And one of the great things about Ting, and this has saved my butt a few times, is you can just turn on hotspot and tethering. So if uh, you need data, like, oh, maybe, I don't know, Comcast goes out on you, happens. You just turn on the hotspot and tethering, and you get Ting's tri-band LTE. I'm getting like 20 megabits in the studio. It's really nice. Plus, they got a whole range of devices from basic devices like feature phones all the way up to the Nexus 6, the best stuff. And one of the things I really like about Ting is they always are iterating on the features around the Ting platform. And so they have a Ting app. I've told you a little, a little bit about it before. Uh, you can find more about it at ting.com slash app. And, of course, uh, Kyra is here. She's got a little discussion for us, too. I mean, I could sit here and tell you about it, but what I love about the Ting app is everything good you need to manage your Ting account. And why have me tell you about it when Kyra could tell you all about it? Go, Kyra. Take it, Kyra is the Ting app of the week. It's also meta. I'm Kyra, and this is the Ting app of the week. I love you! At Ting, we pride ourselves on giving you the tools to take control of your cell phone bill. Practically anything you do in your Ting account dashboard on a computer can be done inside the Ting mobile app. The usage panel shows how many minutes, messages, and megabytes your account and all your devices have used. Tap a number to check out recent activity on that device, Tap again for detailed event info. Easily enable or disable device settings, like international calling, internet access, and picture messaging. You can view your current bill and detailed billing history, and set alerts and caps to keep things under control. You can also give us a call, access our help site, or submit a help request right through the app. You can also stay up to date on the latest Ting news by hitting the blog. You could even watch this episode of the App of the Week featuring the Ting app on the blog within the Ting app. Just be careful not to create a glitch in the matrix. The Ting app is available on Android and iOS devices and is free. You'll find links to the Ting app below. Or just search Ting in the Google Play or the App Store. Thanks for watching. Linux.ting.com. Linux.ting.com. Go there, won't you, to support this show. Get yourself a great discount and check out all of the great stuff Ting has to offer. Linux.ting.com. And a big, 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 big thank you to Ting for sponsoring this here Boy, they've been here almost since the very first... I don't know if they're here for the first episode. Gosh, because I just kind of launched it. I got to spur of the moment. I was like, I'm doing a show! Uh, but they were pretty much right after I decided I'm sticking to the show. I was like, hey! Hey, Kyra. You want to... And Kyra's all in. Kyra over at Ting was all in. And you can get all into Linux.ting.com. Support the show and only pay for what you use. That's right. Go to Linux.ting.com. All right. So now we are sort of winding down towards the end of episode 100. We had uh, Romeo join us just a moment ago. Oh, hold on. Don't peek. Don't peek. Of course, Wes joined us a minute ago. And now Nick, right? That's right. Nick is sitting down to join us. Nick, welcome to Linux Unplugged. Thank you for having me. Now, Nick, uh, how was the drive up, first of all? I should start with that. Where you come from? I'm actually coming from uh, Bremerton, so okay. it's a little bit of a drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It feels like yeah. it's pretty far north when you're actually making the trip, huh? Like, when you look at it, it feels like, that's not that bad. Uh, but yeah, then you have to make the trip out there. So, uh, Nick, I remember we were talking before we started. Uh, you are uh, just started kind of looking and moving into the technology field. And so you're not in – your day job isn't necessarily working with technology, so – why the hell are you using Linux? <laughs> well, I've always kind of been interested. Uh, ever since high school, I've been playing with uh, Ubuntu, really. Oh, okay. Um, and then I kind of got into a little deeper into it. Um, just stuck with it? Yeah, just kind of stuck with it. That's actually, cool. About six months ago, I completely got rid of Windows. And So how is it going to school, taking technology courses? Do they accommodate the fact that you're a Linux user? Or when they give you courseware and instructions, do they just assume you're on a Mac or you're on Windows? Is it? Um, yeah, pretty much just have to figure everything out myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost all Windows and a uh, little bit of Mac here and there. Do you end up having to run a VM 
Like, is there just no way around it sometimes? There was one class I had to run a VM for, uh, just for Microsoft Office. I had to do some stuff with a newer version of uh, PowerPoint, but oh, that, was, man. that was it. Yeah, that was the only one. and now maybe Office Online would help a little bit, I suppose. Uh, I, you know, I feel like cause the reason why I was kind of thinking about this is I was looking at this. Uh, we haven't talked about it yet. Well, we kind of talked about it when it first came out, but this there's this Ubuntu-powered uh, Intel Compute Stick. For $110, it's an x86 computer. It's going to ship with a 64-bit version of Ubuntu 14.04 LTS, 1.3 gigahertz quad-core x86, 1 gigabyte of RAM, and 8 gigabytes of storage. And it just plugs into the HDMI port. $110 for this. And this is going to run any x86-compatible application. I don't. I'm like for like schools and and low and libraries and and low budget. Like you know, we need a lot of computers that can do basic computing. This seems like such a no brainer because you could get a hundred dollar uh, uh, flat screen, you know, a uh, uh, computer monitor, plug this into the HDMI port, and you've got a full computer setup for two hundred fifty bucks or something. Yeah, that'd be like perfect for that that whole situation. There, I'm actually really surprised that more more schools and stuff aren't using open source software in Linux. Well, what am I? I mean, Mumble Room. What am I missing about these compute sticks? Because I think there's some skepticism in the Mumble Room about them, right? Isn't there, I think before we started, there was well, one uh, one thing is uh, they're very easy, easily stealable if they're just shoved in the True. back of a, in a monitor. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but boy, laptops and tablets are also pretty easily stealable, but they still have them in schools and whatnot. But yeah. Hmm. The Ubuntu ones also only have, I believe it was either a single gig or two gigs of RAM, where the Windows one has double that. Ah, Wimpy, is that what you mean by it being a little more gimped? Yeah, so (laughs) way back when, Popey was reading a a more optimistic brand of news than me and was saying that, you know, the Windows and Ubuntu version were going to be the same, but sadly, we find ourselves in the, the usual position where... The Ubuntu version, yes, it's a bit cheaper, which is great, but it's got one gig of RAM and eight gig of storage versus the two gig of RAM and 32 gigs of storage on the Windows version. Um, so that's that's disappointing. Um, but I guess this is, you know, Microsoft's deep pockets um, subsidizing the hardware. Is it that? Is it that? Or is it Intel wanted to ship it for a cheaper price, but Microsoft couldn't agree on that because of the amount of RAM that Windows takes? Well, in the netbook era, Microsoft did their damnedest, didn't they, to make sure that you know these devices true. shipped in such a fashion that they weren't ideal. For and they are, and they're bending over backwards use. for the Raspberry Pi B or Raspberry Two or whatever, Raspberry Pi Two, whatever it is. So, yeah, <sighs> hmm. yeah, I don't know that they're bending over backwards. I think that's lip service they're paying to the Raspberry Pi Two. If you've actually looked at what's involved in getting Windows run, Windows Ten running on a Raspberry Pi Two, it's um, hmm. well, it's a joke. Yeah. Right. Um, well, yeah, and isn't it also it's command line only too, right? Uh, th- well, it's not so much that it's the you know you must have Windows 10 preview installed uh. in order to flash the device, oh. and oh. you must yeah. So there's a hot, and you must have a Microsoft Connect account. You must have a Microsoft um, online account, and there's also and you must fill out every survey on the Microsoft Connect site before you get access to the Raspberry Pi 2 preview image download. So Yuck. there's a lot of a lot of stuff you have to do and a lot of um, information you have to give away to get access to this. So I do think those those sticks are useful for the low-end stuff. Like, So even, yeah, okay, it ships with Ubuntu, but I can see a lot of people wanting to wipe that off and put something like a media center stuff and use a Bluetooth hmm. remote or a, even an infrared remote or something or a Bluetooth keyboard and use it as a media playback device. It's like a, mm-hmm. it's like a Chromecast, mm-hmm. but completely open. You know, so you know the the thing the things that annoy me about Chromecast is I can't 
easily play local media without hacking the thing. Yeah. I can't tell it to use DNS servers other than Google. So mm-hmm. if I wanted to bypass like region locks and stuff, that's hard. Whereas with this device, okay, it's a bit bigger, it takes a bit more power, and it's um, you know it's it's a little bit uglier than than a Chromecast, and it's a do-it-yourself thing. But I I would expect very mm-hmm. soon mm-hmm. there will be people making x86 images essentially for, for that kind of device that's yeah. got. Yeah, yeah, Cody and all the other. Yeah, well, and wasn't Firefox working on a uh, a casting um, stick? Ah. Yeah, well, yeah, right. Maybe instead of building the hardware, they could just release the software and people could flash themselves. But Wimby, you warn us, maybe we are not going to want to replace the Ubuntu OS on the stick. What do you mean? Not just yet. So the the uh, wireless device in these Intel compute sticks isn't su- supported in the mainline kernel just <laughs> oh, yet. Geez. So if you're comfortable <laughs> with patching your own kernel with the um, the current out of tree uh, drivers, then that's fine. So you know this ca- comes with all the hard work having been done for you. But if you want to run Kodi on it or Arch or something else, then mm. for the time being at least, you're going to need to roll your own kernel to support it. Um, so is... maybe, maybe in a couple of months that won't be an issue. But just you know, be be fair warned that. Um, Changing distros is not going to be trivial at the moment. Okay, but this is way easier than than using an ARM device like the mythical Mozilla thing that still hasn't arrived, and we get no updates. Right, being an x eighty six, you mean kind yeah. of yeah, the matchstick. Yeah. That's what it was, the matchstick. Thank you, chat room. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I backed that. I'm still waiting as well. I think I did too. But yes, I did uh, back and whilst it. I- whilst I agree <laughs> with Kofi, from- <laughs> that is not from Mozilla themselves. Just a heads up. Yeah, no, it's not. It's a project built yeah. on top of their Thank platform. You for the but what, whilst I agree with Popey that you know x eighty six devices are far more um, um, flexible, versatile. Uh, just just be fair warned that if you get one of these, just be patient before you start wanting to experiment with other distributions. Now we might yeah. have maybe we'll see something better uh, from Lenovo, right there, Warhead. We might be seeing something from them that might be easier for us to use. Yeah, they're basically redoing the same thing, branding it their way. Uh, however, with my connections there, we might be able to get Linux running on it fast. Nice. That would be cool. That would be good. And they, theirs is going to run for 130 bucks. it says. 2.4 gigahertz wi- Wi-Fi, uh, HDMI compatible. I'm not seeing anything on the – where's the – probably just the same specs, huh? Just a little it's probably money. right down to the letter. And yeah. then it's got the branding and the West inside it, so – yeah, it's got the Atom processor. It's got 32 gigabytes of storage, so it has a little bit more storage. Huh. This one will be shipping with uh, Windows 8. Oh, boy, what a winner that is going to be. Ooh, who would want that? I've seen some online that are built around the Core M, like in the MacBook. Mm. Mm. And I can't remember the price point for those, but I've seen them hmm. out there. Wimpy, uh, before we wrap up, uh, you have a little bit of news to share with us. You are wheeling and dealing these days, my friend. Uh, not to not to stand still. You have another hardware partnership to talk about. Tell me about it. We do. So uh, we have a, a, our second hardware partnership with an organization called Libre Trend, who are based in Portugal, and they make the Libre Box. Um, which um, is really about um, uh, supporting free software. So um, it, it, it supports um, Linux without any um, drivers that require blobs or anything like Good. that. So it's quite an interesting initiative because um, the guy behind it has um, handpicked all of the components 
has de- designed his own motherboard, hmm. has found a <laughs> fabricator in China that actually makes his motherboard for him. Wow. But then he actually manufactures the uh, the devices in Portugal, uh, uh, including, you know, the alloy casing is all bespoke build. So this hmm. isn't an ODM device that he's putting a badge on. The whole thing is uh, entirely uh, bespoke Slip. and hand-designed and... Uh, yeah, so uh, you know, if you're a BSD user, this is also a uh, a good choice because all of the hardware works. And one of his aspirations was to actually get this all working with um, a core boot, uh, but that turns out it's quite a uh, a long and expensive process mm. to um, remove a proprietary BIOS. So at the moment, uh, the uh, LibreBox is using a traditional BIOS, although it doesn't uh, have uh, UEFI. And uh, in time, he's working on actually uh, replacing that with um, core boot. So uh, uh-huh. the, the the last the last vestiges of um, in his mind of you know uh, the the freedom hating can be removed. And he has a couple of um, revisions of this device in the works as well. So in the in the not too distant future, there'll be another device announced. And uh, he's also working on something for 2016, which. Hmm. Um, I can't say anything about, but uh, I'm super excited about that. Sounds like it's going to be a fruitful, a fruitful partnership down the road, long term. Um, we can, well, I hope so. I mean, it, it's it's nice that these organisations have approached us and said, you know, we'd like to ship your operating system. Yeah. Um, that's really satisfying. And it's great for me because it means well, this this particular device, although they're based in Portugal, they ship worldwide, so anyone can order these. And uh, up until September the 13th, there's uh, free global shipping as well. So if yeah. you order one now, there won't be any um, any costs. And uh, there was some criticism when the device was first released about the cost. So he's uh, listened to that. He watched what was going on on Reddit until uh, R Linux was um, went private. And uh, he's actually uh, reduced the price of the device within a few days, having watched uh, people's feedback. Hmm. So uh, they're 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 good eggs, and they're they're doing the right stuff. That's um, awesome. And yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, getting one of these. I'm gonna I'm gonna use one of these as little um, uh, Cody box uh, in the front room. Perfect. You know, that's sort of this. I think that's probably a perfect ending point right there because that's also been one of my favorite things over the hundred episodes is watching uh, you guys work on that project. Watch Ubuntu Mate just sort of really, I, I don't know how else to describe it, blow up, blossom, explode into like from going from uh, something you guys started to really a well known full flavor of Ubuntu now with several hard, or a couple of hardware partnerships and contributing to open source projects on a routine basis. I mean, it's a pretty impressive journey. I think we've, we've I, don't re- I don't even remember where in about the show's history we started talking about it, but it's been going on for a while now and that's sprinkled throughout the history of the show too now. So thank you, Wimpy, for chatting and sharing with us as you've gone along on that. That's really cool. Oh, well, you're welcome. It's all Popey's fault. We can blame Popey. <laughs> blame Popey, uh, and, it, and it started. It started a year ago. Okay. Give, or t- give or take. Give or wow. take a few days. Heck of a year. That's when I went round to Popey's house, and uh, he uh, he got me started on this crazy idea. All right, so that's that's been a heck of a year. Then that went fast. Wow. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, <laughs> and it's kind of surprising because you know I I made this for my mum. Really, my mum, my dad, and my right. wife, and my father-in-law. And now, uh, now I've got hundreds of friends and acquaintances I've made online that are using it. So it's quite satisfying. So if people want to find out more about that hardware, go to ubuntu-mate.org, and I will link it in the show notes as well because that is a pretty, pretty cool deal. Uh, congratulations. So that's uh, that's you. two now. That's two now, right? Two different hardware partnerships. Probably more coming, I bet. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, the original partners, Entroware. Yeah, still around. Apollo. Their their Apollo device is uh, is uh, the same as the Librem thirteen. Right. So I've got one of those. So how do you uh, like it? Do you want to know what the Librem? Uh, yeah, it's great. Although I'm working on kernel drivers for the trackpad at the moment. Because, oh, hold on, uh, that's hold not on. properly supported. I think that'll be a good post show topic. Stay right there. Let's talk about that. All right. Thank okay. you, everybody, for tuning. If you've been here for 100 episodes, thank you for listening to all 100 episodes. Join us next week. We'll be here. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/calendar to get our time. Go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com to leave feedback, and uh, we'll see you right back here next week. show their show thanks you guys that was a lot of fun thank you thank you nick you're welcome uh <laughs> so wimpy tell me how is this uh librem uh, like a uh, laptop yeah uh in the main it's uh very nice so um uh entryware have been selling the apollo for about three months now and uh part of the agreement i've got with them they um they sent me some hardware um so they've sent me two of the laptops to evaluate and the apollo which is the Librem 13 I've now learned uh, that's for me to keep and that's now my daily machine that I use um, so it's a uh, full metal aluminium case uh, my traditional machines are rather clunky and old you know ThinkPads with uh, traditional uh, quality ThinkPad keyboards which mm-hmm. I never thought I would be able to um, give up and the uh, the Apollo's got a chiclet keyboard, which I thought I was going to hate. And I've actually realised that actually that's a really it's a really good keyboard. I really like the keyboard, Ooh. and uh, I uh, I'm very happy with that. So I think Noah's going to get telling one. You now, okay, that's a good stuff, uh, right? Okay, so yeah, ev- ev- everything that I'm telling you could directly translate to the Librem 13 because in my contact with Entroware and then consequently the ODM and some of the component manufacturers, I've learned that what I have is the Librem 13. Okay. It's the same It's the same device. The one difference being is that Entroware ship theirs with um, a traditional BIOS, whereas uh, Librem are hoping to use Core Boot. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the specs and the case and all of the other features, it's uh, it's the same. But the the issue is this: it's got a really nice uh, large trackpad, mm. but uh, the kernel currently detects that as a PS2 mouse. So consequently, there's no uh, there's no gesture gesture recognition. Oh no! And what I've and what I've also learned, and brace yourself, because you've backed the Librem 15, haven't you? Mm-hmm. The Librem 15 has the same trackpad in it, made by BYD. So. I've contacted the component manufacturer BYD to try and get the specs and uh, I got a general PDF that isn't all that much help. There's a couple of people I've found on various mailing lists that have had a go at reverse engineering the um, the packets packet protocol for the USB device to try and enable the full gesture support and that's quite hard going. Um, I've made some 
some progress, but I don't know en enough about kernel development and in particular the input stack. So I'm kind of um, kind of str struggling with that. But what this means is if you actually look at the uh, product updates for the Librem 15, in one of those they actually acknowledge that the trackpad only works as a PS2 device, which means you've got you know you've got basic you know trackpad movement you know move your finger around and the cursor follows you and you've got um edge scrolling that works um but there's no two finger scrolling uh, or gestures which means that when you need to right click and drag something that's a bit awkward um so yeah yeah maybe somebody needs to hold you know the candle to uh, purism's toes and just find out um what their uh what their plan is regarding the trackpad support is. I actually, I had a, um, a similar mouse on my Asus laptop, and when I installed the new version of Fedora, Fedora 22, it actually worked right out of the box. So whatever they're doing. Yeah, they have the new, uh, <laughs> they have a new lib input library. Don't they have some new, doesn't, doesn't yeah. Fedora 22 have a new? Uh... It does, yeah. yeah. And it does yeah. work better for me. Every, everything. In fact, I think Fedora are actually going to make that mandatory in the next release. So if there's, if projects aren't using lib input, they're going to struggle because their their libraries are going away.